Good evening. This is Apostle Corey Douglas of Zion Ministries in Harris, Alabama. Welcome you to another verse-by-verse Bible study on the book of Romans. We are going to continue our study in Romans chapter number 5. We will be picking up at verse 15. Again, it is Romans chapter number 5, verse number 15. Praise the Lord. And so as we read, verse 15 says, and we'll be reading from the New King James Version just for ease of understanding. Verse 15 says, but the free gift is not like the offense. And to explain this, we're, he's speaking specifically about the gift of life, the free gift of life, uh, the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, which in context of Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul refers to as the gift of grace. Okay, the gift of grace. Now he's making a comparison with death that came uh, unto all men. We were never created to die, but we were created to live, to move, and to exist, and to walk eternally with God, okay, as human beings, as those that are created in God's likeness and in God's image. But when the first man, who represented all of humanity, um, present and also after him, when the first man sinned, uh, our father, our forefather, the one that uh, we are the prototype of of his person, Adam. Okay, but when he sinned, death was able to enter into the earth realm, and also was able to infect and to invade and to eat away at and to cut off the life of God that God had ordained and created for you and I to experience, and so. When verse 15 speaks about the free gift, I want you to think restoration to divine favor. As we, as we specified last week, um, to, to be reconciled means to be restored to divine favor. And that divine favor specifically that we're speaking of, that you and I are restored to when we receive salvation or when we become born again, children of God, through faith in Christ Jesus, is the ability to not just stand and not just face, but to exist before God without shame, without guilt, without fear, without condemnation, and without death. Uh, to be able to stand before God, and God took it a step further in his son Jesus Christ to where he makes his home in us, and we become one with him. But to be able to be in fellowship, to be joined in a union with God himself, and to not uh, be afraid because we are inferior or to be afraid of his anger, his wrath, his power, or his nature. And to know that in that union of being brought back to divine favor, not because of anything that we have done, none of, not because of our works, not because of our own merits, our own efforts, labor, or goodness, but all because of what Jesus did on the cross that we cannot just be joined to God uh, and exist before him, but we can exist in the confidence and in the security, knowing that God is thinking good thoughts toward us at all times for all of eternity. And not only is he thinking good, good thoughts toward us as we stand before him and his son 
is also releasing uh, the goodness of his own heart, of his own thoughts, of his own feelings and imaginations toward us in his son. So he's thinking good things, things toward us, and he is also doing good things for us and in us and on our behalf in his son, Jesus Christ. And that is the restoration of divine favor, and that is the free gift that the apostle Paul refers to in Romans chapter number 5, verse number 15. So he makes this statement, the free gift is not like the offense. What is the offense that he's speaking of? Sin, okay, the sin that Adam committed in the garden, in the book of Genesis, as it is recorded, okay. Uh, sin is offensive to God. You know, sin is against God, and sin really uh, the creation of sin is to be uh, everything that God is, sin is against. So if God is light, sin is darkness. If God is good, sin is evil. If God is blessing, then sin is cursing. If God came to give life, then sin came to give death. And so it is anti-everything that love and God the Father intended that you and I experience. God didn't create us as a creation to be miserable in life. Think about that. That's not a, you know, if God created man to be miserable throughout his days in life or his existence on earth, he could have left man uncreated. And so God didn't create you and I to experience mayhem, uh, misery, uh, curses, and death and bondage and torment and just despair. Uh, he created us to experience life and to experience uh, the good life that he envisioned in us from the foundation of the world, okay? But when this offense came and when this, this way or this nature, this action of, of this action of the mind, of the heart, and also of the motive came that was by nature against God, that became known throughout all of creation as sin, okay? And to be anti-God, is to be anti-life, it is to be anti-love, and it is to be anti-light because God is absolute according to the word of God. Three things, he doesn't just have love, but he is love. He does not just give light, but he is light. And he does not just give life, but he is life in and of himself, his very core in the root of his nature. So if you can remember the three absolute L's of God, that God is light, God is love, and God is light. Well, sin is against um, all of those things being given to us. And so it is a blocker. It is something that uh, legally uh, manipulated and was able to, uh, to gain entry before the courts of heaven and before the government of God uh, at the detriment of destroying mankind and humanity. And God loved us so much that he would not allow this demonic creation, this organic demonic creation called sin that originated in the heart of fallen angels, in the heart of Lucifer himself, who used to be an angel of God in heaven. But God would not allow uh, this angel's downfall to be the downfall of man who was created in his likeness and in his image. So in his love for you and I, he sends his very own son, to become sin for us and to suffer and to die for our sins, even though he had done no wrong, just so you and I can be free from it, to be restored back into proper fellowship, life, and right standing and favor with God himself, with our creator. 
uh, and not just as creator anymore, but as father to sons and daughters uh, in a very real way. So verse 15, we move on. If, for, if, by the, if by one man's offense many die, or if because of Adam sin came into the world and man began to die, when you read the book of Genesis and God gave Adam the instruction um, that of the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you should surely die, he gave him two commands. He said, listen, there are many trees in this garden, Adam, and you can eat of all these trees freely. And if you go back and if you study the book of Genesis, you'll find that the tree of life was in the garden as well. It was not hidden or restricted from Adam or Eve. And they could eat and pull on the good things, uh, but at some point uh, they made the wrong decision. We know the story. But God specifically told us, him, he said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And, of course, we know the story how that Satan entered the serpent and uh, tricked Eve, and Adam walked in disobedience and sin entered the world. But what I want to really um, make known to you uh, and to, you know, really just bring out uh, from that particular story is that it was at that moment that that Adam died, and it was at that moment that death was passed on to you and I. Now, when you read the book of Genesis, we notice that Adam did not drop dead instantly. As a matter of fact, he was driven from the garden, and a cherubim, which is a four-winged angel, uh, and also some of them have two faces and four faces, but a cherubim was uh, placed um, at the entrance of the garden, the Garden of Eden is what we call paradise. And the angel was placed there to protect it and guard it, guard it with a flaming sword, a sword of fire, okay, uh, to permit Adam and Eve from partaking of the fruit, the life of that garden ever again, as long as sin was a part of their nature and, their, and, their, and of their nature and of their makeup. And so, when we, when we look at this, we can see that it was never God's intent. And from that point on, God had always had a wise plan to bring us back to the garden, to get us back into that place of that Adam enjoyed before he sinned. This is why he sent Jesus, and this is what the gospel is all about. For if by, one, by the offense, by one man's offense, many died, much more by the grace of God. So I want you to do a compare and contrast here. You're going to be thinking about two men. You're going to be thinking about Adam, then you're going to be thinking about Jesus. Okay? Adam, his existence was really a foreshadow or a type, um, a rough draft of the Christ to come, for lack of better words. So the uniqueness in the compare and contrast of Adam is that Adam became the, uh, you can say, the father or the author of the human race. Well, Jesus is and became the author and originator of what the Bible calls the new creation, another race, another species of being as well. Second Corinthians 5.17, for if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 
old things have passed away and all things have become new. Uniquely, we find that when God started the human race, if you read the book of Genesis, he breathed into Adam. He put him, he breathed into man, and he formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into him. And the Bible says, and man, or Adam, Adam means earth or dirt, or man that came from the earth or dirt became a living soul because God placed his very own breath and his spirit in Adam to start the human race, okay? Well, when we look at uh, the, the new creation race, we see that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the last chapter of John, that Jesus Christ appears after his resurrection before his disciples, his 12 disciples, and they're afraid because they're like, you're supposed to be dead. How in the world did you show up and appear and walk the wall? But when we, when we look closely at Scripture, um, in the book of John, as a matter uh, of fact, I'll give you exact, the exact reference uh, to this particular instance. We're going to look in the book of John, and it is John chapter number 20, praise God. John 20, verse uh, 21 through 23. So Jesus said unto them, Peace be unto you, as the Father has sent me, also I send you. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, or receive the Holy Spirit. That was verse 22. So we see that to start the human race, God the Father breathed into man to start the human race. But to start the new creation race of beings, of those who put faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus breathed into his disciples to begin uh, those who would be born of him, or born of his spirit. And so Adam was born, um, Adam became, you know, if you think about procreation and reproduction between Adam and Eve, we know that humans come and populated the earth through, you know, procreation, man and woman reproducing an offspring. But when we look at the spiritual offspring, we see that Jesus Christ reproduces other sons and daughters through those who put faith in his gospel. So I just wanted to share with you just those two parallels, because as we read on down in Romans chapter number five, we're going to be um, talking, uh, the apostle Paul deals with uh, the first Adam. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus Christ is called the last Adam not the second Adam. So the Adam that was created in Genesis chapter number three is the first Adam, but Jesus Christ is referred to in Scripture as the last Adam, not the second, but the last, okay? Because God had chosen them both to, to be the origin of, of races, okay, of a species. Matter of fact, that word new creature in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Greek word specifically denotes that it is a new species of beings that have never existed before. That's who we are. That's who you are uh, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so moving on down to verse number, again, verse number 15. For if by the offense... For if by one man's offense 
many die, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded unto many. So it's like God is balancing the scales. He said, okay, since one man, Adam, got the rest of the human race into trouble through his one sin and disobedience, then I'm going to balance this out by sending one man to get everybody out of trouble if they choose to believe in him. Okay? And so you see the balance of God in this, in the fairness of God. One man got us in the trouble, Adam, one man gets us out of trouble, Jesus. Verse 16, and this gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. Okay? Condemnation is to be charged with guilt. It is when someone does wrong and they transgress. It is, it is legal punishment or penalty for a transgression, an offense, or a wrongdoing. Okay? And it is not it's the charge of guilt. It's the feeling of guilt. And it is also the consequence of guilt. Okay, um, lack of better words, if I could bring it like this, you know, um, in a court situation, it's the person that has done wrong and that begins to feel bad about doing wrong, and they go to court and they get punished, fined for whatever wrong that they're doing, they've done. Uh, it could be a fine that they paid, depending upon how severe the trans trespass is, it could be um jail time or prison time. That is what's called condemnation. And so it says in verse 16 that the gift of grace is not like what came through the first Adam who sinned. For through the first Adam, judgment came upon all of humanity as a result of that sin, and it resulted in condemnation. Now, I want to I say this because early here, I began to specify that Adam did not immediately die when they ate of the garden, uh, but they did die. It's, and I want to share this with you because it's important that we understand the definition of death. Uh, death does not mean non-existent. Death means to be separated or to be severed, to be cut off from life. For instance, if you plug a phone charger in the wall, that would be considered life. If you unplug that charger out of the wall, that would be considered death. Now, let's take it a step further. Let's just say you charge, you, if you charge your phone, you got the charge in the wall, and you have your Apple charger, and you're charging your phone up, that would be considered life. But if you unplug your phone from that charger, that would be considered death. Well, the truth of the matter is you're 100% charged. And so based upon the residue of what has been stored up, that phone will continue to work for a duration of time, okay? But at some point, your phone's going to give you the indicator low battery mode. And then it's going to kick into some reserve. You know, on Apple iPhones, there are certain apps that they'll try to shut down to reserve energy. But at some point, if that, that phone is not plugged back in, up in the charger, it goes what we call completely dead. And regardless of what it's created to do, how it's created to function, it will not and cannot come on and function in a maximum capacity in the way that it was intended. 
Well, that is what sin did. That is what happened to Adam when he sinned in the garden, okay? His, his charger got disconnected. He was separated from fellowship with God. But he was charged up on 100% because previous to that, he had been walking with God all of his life. But at some point, his battery got low, okay? His, his tank got low. And at some point, he died physically. Now, the scripture records he died uh, close to being 900-plus years old, uh, and then he died. So that's a lot of battery that he had stored up. But the fact of the matter is he had been cut off from the source of life, and there was no more uh, electricity, for lack of better words, or currents of life going into him to maintain his liveliness. And that is what happened when sin entered. It entered and it took Adam out and all the generations that came out of his loins, which would be the entire human race, began to feel the impact. And so Adam died, but at some point, even though procreation continued, a lot of people came into the earth born dead, born uh, into the world uh, with dead cell phones, for lack of better words, with our power already uh, on low, you know, we we've never experienced what it's meant. Well, I mean, what it means to be alive, because after after the first man Adam's, you know, tank went dead or power charger went dead, you know, he died. And but people were still being procreated, and children, sons and daughters were being born. Generations were still being reproduced. But when we come into the world, we come into the world existing as a result of sin. We're we're not alive, though, you know. And so part of coming back to Jesus Christ and accepting this gift of righteousness, this gift of salvation to Jesus Christ our Lord, is to experience what it really means to be alive, to experience what it really means to exist in this world with a battery fully charged, to experience uh, what apps has God given me, you know, what capacities, what capabilities. Uh, and I'm just using the parallel. You know, I'm a, if you're an iPro, you know, iPhone 14, you know, what am I created to do? Okay, this is my first time being charged up. This is my first time being alive. There's a lot more to me than just existing, okay? God wants me to come alive. And so Jesus is the source of life. He is that juice. He is that life that unlocks every inherent capacity, power, and ability that you and I have been given by our creator causing it to come alive and causing us to fully operate in the full capacity that he intended when he created us. And that is what this gift of life and this gift of grace is all about. Okay, that was a lot. Let's go. All right. Verse number 16. And the gift is not like that which came through one who sinned, for the judgment came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But, that's a conjunction, we love the buzz. But the free gift, okay, this free opportunity to, to, to be generated or to be charged up or to come alive for once in our existence, the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in, justi resulted in justification. Now, um, this is so powerful because what this is saying is that Adam's sin and judgment came, one man, Adam sinned, and judgment came upon the entire human race that led to condemnation. It's, but it's saying that the one man, Jesus Christ, did not sin. Okay. 
Okay? But he took upon himself the sins of the world. Many offenses. I mean, the things that we had done that offended God, he basically took the blame for. He he took the credit for. He took the wrath for. He you know, when the Bible says as we'll read later that he became sin for us, he became my sin. So all the stuff that we technically would be guilty of, judgment or condemnation, he took the rap for us. He became the scapegoat. Okay. And so it says, but the free gift which came by many offenses, those offenses are ours, okay? He became, but the end result is that he became that so that you and I could be justified or could receive, as verse 16 says, justification. Now, justification is to be rendered before the court of law, not guilty, okay, or to be rendered innocent, to be free of guilt, to be free of condemnation, okay, and to be free of the consequence thereof as well. And this is the free gift that Jesus has offered us through his gospel, justification. Now, the Passion Translation reads it this way in verse 16. It says, and this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with a verdict of guilty. But the gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God, acquitted with the words, not guilty. I'll read that again because that's beautiful. It says, and this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what, we, what was given to us through the one who sinned, Adam. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with a verdict of, not, of, with a verdict of guilty. That's in Adam. But now here comes Jesus. But this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect, the complete righteousness of God, acquitted, acquitted with the words, not guilty, not guilty. And it's important uh, to understand the core purpose of Jesus. He said it himself in the book of Luke. The Son of Man did not come to destroy man's lives, but to save them. Again, he told the disciples that the Son of Man did not come to destroy life. Okay? What came through the first Adam was already doing that. But the Son of Man came to save, okay? to rescue, to deliver, to heal, to strengthen, to comfort, to love to build up, okay, to repair, to restore, to protect, to, you know, to keep whole and sound. That is why Jesus came. This is why this gift is so precious, which leads to justification. Verse 17, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, 
much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Okay? So if by Adam's transgression, death was able to reign and to have its way, because we read previously that death reigned from Adam to Moses, even to them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. But if that was allowed to happen for a season, then it's only fair that God gives an opportunity to balance the scales, and he gives us the opportunity for life to reign in those who believe in his son through the abundance of grace. And listen to this, the gift of righteousness. And I want you to understand that righteousness and being in right standing with God or restored into divine favor is a gift. And the only thing that you and I have to do to receive a gift is receive it. You don't work for a gift. Another word for gift is a present. You have birthday presents. You have Christmas presents. You have uh, sometimes, uh, you know, monumental presents or gifts are given to you at work for certain accomplishments. And all you have to do is stretch your hand out and receive. And it's important that we understand this because righteousness or being in good favor with God is a gift that you need not work for or try to be good enough to earn. Uh, It's important that we cease from our own labors, but sometimes the hardest thing for us to do and the hardest work for us to do is to simply believe, is to simply receive it. And if you battle with uh, being undeserving, if you battle with uh, I don't think that I deserve life, I don't feel like I deserve it, I've been such a bad person, or, you know, it's hard for me to receive any good thing because I've not been good or done good, let me just share with you. None of us have. That's what makes this gift so precious, so awesome, so gracious, because none of us could earn it and none of us deserve it. And that is the very thing that if you can release your faith to receive, it's supposed to unlock the love, the tears, the thankfulness, and the gratitude. And that is what reveals how much he loves you. And when you receive the gift of righteousness by faith in your heart, it is the first step to receiving and actually experiencing what it feels like to be truly loved by God. God bless you. I pray that the study brought life, encouragement, and strength, and understanding to you. Grace and peace be with you. And if it be the Lord. Well, if we're here in the rapture, Terry's, we will continue this Friday, 6.30 p.m.